4: It is a birds 365 morning here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Appreciate you streaming on in with your Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen and Jody McDonald. We've got two good hours of Eagles conversation coming your way and two good guests, Marcus Hayes of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Ben Solak of the Ringers to talk football, specifically Eagle football with us. Uh, Johnny Mac, you got to talk and or listen to a whole bunch of Eagle football yesterday. Uh, The Eagles made a, a group of individuals available for you guys in the media to talk to and question. You did mention it on yesterday's show that it was upcoming and it's almost like a rite of passage when you've been doing it for a while. You know this day is coming. Veteran Eagle players made available prior to workouts and the like. Here's my first question to you. How do you think they decide on who they're going to make available?
5: um who's willing to do it Um, is that a big part of you think that's that's
4: number one concern they they actually ask permission
3: rather than uh, oh yeah
5: oh yeah there's certain guys that uh you know want to do it on their time at least um so i mean the 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 most yeah the most important part is getting guys to say hey we'll take a little time out and talk to the media so uh that that is by far the most important part Um, and then from there, obviously early, you know, it's more meaningful players, I would say. And then, um, as time goes on, uh, they try to get us, uh, as many people as they can throughout the off season. Um, because they don't, you know, there's no open locker room until the the regular season where you can go grab anybody, you know, back in the old days, it was fun because to me, the off season, the most intriguing stories are the guys you don't know much about. Uh, right. And we, we can't just grab them on the practice, field. you used to be able to do it after practice. COVID has changed everything. So you, you, you work with what you, you get basically is how it, how it shakes out.
4: Yeah, I've never been a reporter. You've been a reporter all these years. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I like the HBO leadoff show, because they give you the nice mix of the stars and the rookies trying to make the team with interesting backgrounds and stories. Are they going to make the cut? Not going to make the cut. Yeah, we're we're months away from that. The Eagles haven't got anywhere near camp, but they do have an almost 90-man roster. You got to talk to a bunch of them yesterday, a couple players and one coach. And that coach is Alex Tanney, the new quarterback coach who uh, both the head coach and the offensive coordinator have sung the praises of so far. We're not that far removed from Alex Tanney being a quarterback in the league, a backup quarterback at that, but a quarterback in the league. And he's uh, not only jumped into the coaching thing pretty darn quickly, but if there is one positional coach more than any other that lends itself to eventually becoming a head coach, I would say quarterback coaches the top of that list. You got a lot of guys who are head coaches in the NFL right now who are former quarterback coaches on their uh, ascent up the coaching mountainside, making a stop at the quarterback coach is not the worst thing in the world. Um, what do you think of Alex Tanney yesterday?
5: Um, yeah, uh, he was fine. Um, you know, it's a little bit more difficult for position coaches, uh, especially when you have a guy who. Um, and, and forget even coordinators. I mean, I always, I wish people could see the difference, and they probably will this year. I wish people could see the difference between Shane Steichen on the podium when he knows the cameras are on versus off the podium, um, sort of just talking to us. Completely different guy. I mean, completely, complete, But he's trying to um, toe the line. You know, he's not in charge. Nick Sirianni's in charge. He's trying to to keep things on the same page. So I think most position coaches are like that. Um, Alex, as you mentioned, a very good young coach, a uh, uh, very young coach, and uh, people speak very highly of him. Um, you know, he was playing 2020. Um,
4: yeah, just a couple of years ago.
5: Yeah, Um I remember, you know, when Marcus signed Marcus Mariota, he was in Tennessee when Marcus got drafted. Um, you know, he made the quip, he's going to have a tough time calling Alex coach. Um, and because, you know, he's more like a peer. Um, and, it, it, you know, but he he's career backup and he knew as kind of be talked about, he knew coaching was going to be his future pretty early in his career as a backup quarterback. But I do remember when he came here and he, and he was a coach for the first time when, when Nick got here. Uh, So 2021. um, And I remember watching, he was a quality control guy. So those are, you know, very low on the totem pole. Uh, we talked a little bit about them yesterday doing special projects, things like that. And, you know, every once in a while I'd see this guy throwing to the receivers and drills. I'm like, this guy's got a better arm than the quarterbacks. I'm like, and I went up to one of the PR guys. And I'm like, who's that? Um, and they said, Alex Taney. I mean, yeah. I mean, he he was right off the field and into coaching. And you could tell it. You could still tell it today. He's got a heck of an arm. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's funny you bring this up because Alex Smith was on SiriusXM and, you know, talking about young quarterbacks. And he doesn't like young quarterbacks with defensive coaches. And I'm I'm with him, man. I, I you know, I feel bad for defensive guys. But, like, if I was an owner, I, I would not hire a defensive guy because I need this whole league. The modern league is about developing the quarterback, getting the quarterback, getting the maximum out of your quarterback. And I want a strong head coach that can develop a quarterback, a strong offensive coordinator, a strong quarterback coach. And you think about the Eagles, you know, Nick Sirianni is the only one who didn't play the position, Uh, but he coached it. Uh, He's already, he coached it on his way up. Mm-hmm. You have Shane, Shane Steichen who played it in college, obviously coached it. You have Brian Johnson who played it at a very high level in college and coached it. You have Alex Tanney who's been in the NFL forever, obviously played it, now coaching it. And I, and I go back to Doug Peterson and same thing with Doug and, 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 and Frank Reich. <laughs> Those guys played forever, played the position forever. Um, and John D. Filippo played it in college. Boy I, it's so important and I think the Eagles have done it the right way at least over the past number. I, I can't I look at said the same thing with Justin Fields. That's one of my big problems. I don't, I don't like the setup. Your, your, your guy now it doesn't matter, but with Zach William, uh, Zach Wilson, I, I don't like the setup. I, I, I don't like the setup if you're drafting a quarterback that high. Now, Aaron Rodgers is going to be – he's going to do it himself. He's already a, a ready-made product, project, product, so I don't worry about it anymore. But with young quarterbacks, I, I'm not hiring a defensive coach. I'm not. So with the fact that you're saying
4: Alex Tanney has kind of got to stay in his lane because – not only is he not the head coach, he's not the offensive corner. He's a brand new uh, quarterback coach getting his first chance at that full position. Did he say anything that you could take something from? Or did he just toe the line and give you exactly uh what Brian well, i mean most of the
5: most interesting part he towed the line when it came to and and he has to and that's you know they all do he's no different than anybody else just a little bit younger but uh you know the most interesting part when you talk to the assistants is always their backgrounds you know and as i said he he knew pretty early in his playing career that he wanted to be a coach um and pretty much his entire playing career was picking the brains of all the coordinators and all the quarterbacks he played with. He played, I think he said, with 12 head coaches and 12 quarterbacks, uh, 12 quarter offensive coordinators. You know, Eli Manning would be, you know, probably the most long term uh, quarterback he was around. Um, and, he, and he just, you know, Marcus Mariota was one of them. Uh, coming into Tennessee um, and he just learned from everybody and he knew from very very early in his professional career that he wanted to be a coach and you know Josh McCown was the same way I always said when when there was talk about Josh McCown getting a head coaching job in Houston you and I have talked about this in the past and everyone said mm-hmm. you can't do that you can't do that and you can't do that. And ultimately Houston certainly wasn't the organization strong enough to do that. But I always say to myself, I go, who the hell knows more about offensive football than Josh McCown? He's been every, he's been in every offensive system, every offensive scheme, literally because he played forever and he bounced around. So you, you name it. He saw it. He knows it. He understands it. And ultimately we'll see now he's, you know, started uh, with Frank Reich in, in Carolina, everybody in this, I don't know anybody in this league that doesn't think Josh McCown going to be a head coach. Um, and, and we'll see how he does as things develop, but I mean being and Alex is a little bit of a mini Josh McCown and he, and he mentioned Josh, by the way, yesterday. So he played in Kansas city. I'm looking at Kansas city, Dallas, Cleveland, Tampa, Tennessee. Buffalo, Indy, back to Tennessee, and the Giants. All those coaches. Uh, slightly more all those than systems, I thought. I thought it was four or five. You ran down
4: about seven or eight there. Yeah, I didn't know all, it was that many teams that you jumped around to.
5: All those coaches, all those systems, he just knows a lot about offensive football. And it's like, you know, for whatever reason in baseball, you know, backup catchers make good managers, you know, backup quarterbacks make good coaches.
4: Exactly, and that's what the Eagles uh, see in Alex Tanney, and that's why they promoted him to the uh, quarterback's coach position. Didn't get a chance to talk to any of the quarterbacks on the roster yesterday, but you did get a chance to talk to their sitar wide receiver, A.J. Brown, who seemed like a guy on a mission. I, I liked the way, and maybe it was just the way he answered questions, even more so than the things that he said. He looks like a guy with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, who's ready for this upcoming season, who is good as uh, last year was. And he put up phenomenal numbers in a new town with his best friend who got paid. He talked a lot about that. Yes, I couldn't be happier for uh, Jalen Hurts. And that's understandable. But he also looked like a guy who's uh, ready to maybe just make amends. For last year, maybe that's a bad choice of words on my uh, part, but uh, that it was—they've got unfinished business. Johnny Mack, by one field goal with ten seconds to go, they came up short of their stated goal, and they, at least through AJ Brown, seemed like a team that's ready to come back out and uh, reverse the trend <clears throat> of last season at the very end.
5: Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know if I want to call it the trend because they were pretty stinking good, um, and and AJ was you know I, I always say he was he was the final piece of the puzzle on offense. Um, I knew he was good. I remember you and I talking about when they acquired him. I said he was maybe the right on the cusp of being a top ten top receiver. 10. Somewhere, we had him somewhere nine, ten, range.
4: eleven. If you wanted to be optimistic, he went nine. If you wanted to be pessimistic, yeah. you went 11. That's that's where he fit before the season started. So
5: my point is, I knew he was good. I didn't know he was this good. Um, and and he was. And, um, you know, obviously you see the shape he keeps himself in. He's very uh, dedicated. Um, yeah, I don't worry about A.J. Brown from that perspective. But, you know, I, I do think there's – there's kind of a disconnect and, you know, we've been talking about it with the Sixers all week and I see our buddy Marcus Hayes popped in. We got to get to him after the break and we'll talk to him about it, but athletes got to be a little bit different than fans. I know they get upset and it's very emotional when you lose, but you got to go back to work. So you got to turn the page as quickly as possible. And, and, and that's sort of the sentiment that AJ Brown had, obviously they're disappointed. I mean, these are tremendously competitive people. You know, you think back to your basketball days, Jody, I'm sure when you were playing pickup basketball, you wanted to win. It's just a natural, you want to win, but if you're a professional athlete, you can't carry that with you. If you, if you lose, even if you lose at the highest level and in such a, a heartbreaking fashion. So, Um, You got to turn the page. That was sort of a theme with the veteran players. And we'll see if they can. It's easier said than done.
4: I like the way AJ delivered his uh, point of view yesterday. He did seem like a guy who had a very good comprehension of taking the disappointing ending to last season and making it kind of a battle cry. Not, Not a hangover, but something that sits in the back of their head that they know. We've got some unfinished business. Our business is just getting underway. We've still got an hour and 40 minutes worth of it. We're going to spend a good quality chunk of it with our buddy Marcus Hayes from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's going to join us next here on Birds 365.
6: Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app.
2: And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC
6: Philadelphia and start streaming today.
1: All right, did you know I was the mommy slam dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really. Don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So I go to I go to the fake a mama. Mama, go oh, mama! She did it.
3: Again? You can't
5: avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and
7: doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare.
3: Uh huh.
4: Guys, McMullen and McDonald here on Birds 365. And lo and behold, we have found Marcus Hayes. He's good enough to jump in with us and give us a couple of min- minutes of insight. Marcus, is a uh, all around columnist, you got to cover everything in town, not just the birds like Johnny Mack and I here on Birds 365. We're just talking about how you prep for a season and what kind of mindset you have to have as a player. What kind of mindset do you have to have as a uh, cover-it-all columnist here in town? Can you put the Sixers' woes behind you as soon as it's over and done with and start to think about the Phillies and, yeah, look ahead to the Eagles? How difficult is it a guy for,
7: for a guy like you
4: to do something like that?
7: Well, uh, as uh, John John will tell you, I root for the most important person of all, me. <laughs> I don't care if they win or lose. I just hope they say stupid things like, you know, uh, we can't do it alone, like Joel Embiid said, or uh, uh, me and Doc got along okay, like James Harden said. So <laughs> that, that'll that'll take you through an entire offseason. Um <clears throat> But yeah, it's it's actually it's there's a lot of bandwidth. I, I and what I what I do to sort of stay up with it. Cause I have three kids too. and uh, So I'm super busy is I listen to talk radio and podcasts more than I ever have before, because things will slip through, things will slip by and we live in an electronic age where the people who are your sources assume that the electronics are always going to work. For example, yesterday, Daryl Morey talked at, I think 1230, the, the Sixers sent out an email the evening before and our Sixers editor sent out a slack the the you know when the email hit and said, Okay, let's do this and this and this. And I was on yesterday. I didn't know until eight thirty, you know, taking one of my kids somewhere that there was a 1230 press conference because the email went to junk mail and our, our systems <laughs> inside are, uh, are are have been sabotaged, apparently, at the inquiry.
5: Yeah, how about so, that?
7: So, yeah. um, you know, the most important press conference – Doc got fired the day before. So the most important press conference of the year, I didn't even realize it was happening until I heard about it on talk radio. Nice. So um, I was able to sort of scramble and cover – but it's uh, it's kind of like herding cats, or and, and the funny thing is, and John might be able to tell you this too. When Troy Vincent and Troy Aikman were playing against each other, I would transpose their names constantly, and sometimes you know it would be like the, the editors wouldn't be able to tell that I transposed them because the, the the usage was conceivable that Troy Vincent had done what Troy Aikman had done, and Troy <laughs> Aikman had done what Troy Vincent has done. And, and it was, that's the example I use all the time, because the way that I remember names I've discovered is by the length of the last name. So Aikman and Vincent have the same same number of letters, and the shape of the last name, and A and V are the same shape, just upside down. So that's the worst example. <laughs> so to answer your question, it's uh, it can be a challenge at times delineating between sports and coaches and GMs. And I cover a lot of golf. I cover the Olympics. <clears throat> so it's the best job in sports. It really is doing all the things I get to do and traveling all the places I get to travel. But I really have to like overstudy. Like I just wrote down the Eagles top four draft choices from this year and uh, Nakobe Dean, because my contention is the Eagles are the best team at drafting for tomorrow. And that's really what they did with their entire draft this year and part and most of their draft last year. So in preparation for this show, birds 365, I figured we'd be talk, talking about a lot of, you know, sort of the off season stuff, but for God's sake, I mean Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis. That's from the same school. Yeah. That's just not fair to me. That's not fair to me. I'm going to screw that up a thousand. And they're going to be playing next to each other.
2: Yeah.
7: <laughs> and they're even but, uh, the uh, same yeah, size. Plus,
5: you got you got you got too many Jalen's. We've had too many Jalen's over the years. Oh.
7: Uh, uh, yeah,
5: I hear you, Marcus.
7: It's yeah. painful, and I, I think how this is the fifth. I think it's like the fifth or sixth Jalen who is guaranteed to play for the Eagles yeah. over the last three years.
5: And sometimes you throw out, you're asking a coach talking about Jalen. They don't know what Jalen know. you're talking Wait, which about. Which Jalen
7: yeah. we talking about yeah. Well, inside, John, they've got nicknames. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, Jalen Rager and Jalen Hurts and whoever and whoever all have nicknames that everybody knows. Yeah. I found
5: out Alex Tanny's nickname "Sticks" yesterday. So, like the river sticks, sticks, or the
7: group sticks, or the skinny leg sticks.
5: Skinny, I think, because he, he was skinny. Plus, he oh, wore eleven, yeah. so they called him Sticks in. Uh, oh yeah. In yeah. in Tennessee, so uh, the things you learn.
7: That's uh, clever for Tennessee.
5: <laughs> that is clever, clever for Nashville. Um. Hey, uh, I want to talk about culture with you, Marcus, because I think it's unique. You're talking about you toggle back and forth. And obviously we're talking uh, in the Delaware Valley a lot about the Sixers culture right now. You get to see it up front. You get to see the Eagles culture, the Sixers culture, the Flyers culture if they have one, the Phillies. (laughs) Um, Are the Eagles that uh, far ahead of everybody else in town? Do you think from that perspective and do you think it has more to do with the organization or the players? Because I want to throw this at you, you know, yesterday was the day, you know, every spring they have that first day where they bring out some veteran players. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking this is groundhog day, right? We're going to get Kelsey and Brandon and maybe Pledge and Lane or some conglomeration got one. We got Kels, um, but those guys—they've been here forever. And you know, is it got more to do with them that the Eagles have this great culture, or is it Jeffrey Lurie the organization, or are they not that much better than everybody else?
7: Well, we've seen this culture be bad. We've seen the Eagles have a yeah. bad culture, have a fractured culture. the The reason the Eagles have the current culture is because of Vontae's Perfect. In 2016, Vontae's Perfect. It. in 2016. It's a curveball. Yeah. Well, it's a, what do you call it? Whisper down a lane, connect the dots. In 2016, yeah. Vontae's Perfect was chasing Carson Wentz to the sideline where Zach Ertz was prepared to block Vontae's Perfect and then declined to do so. He chickened out. He ran away. Like Sir Robin in uh, <laughs> The Holy Grail, he fled. um the next day howard eskin very pointedly asked doug peterson the rookie head coach who probably never, you know you can talk about mike lombardi all you like he's he's right doug probably should never have gotten a job asked him you know are some of your players not playing as hard as they should be or whatever and doug said yeah you're right if you remember, Rodney McLeod also twice declined to put his nose in the dirt in, in a goal line stand as in safety. So the the day after that, Tuesday, Malcolm Jenkins led a contingent of uh, torch and pitchfork waivers to Doug Peterson's office and said, how dare you throw us under the bus? And Doug Peterson, probably the smartest thing he ever did besides agreeing to the Philly special, Philly Philly was he said, okay, fine. If you think I'm doing a bad job policing your locker room, you do it. Which one of you said something to Zach Ertz? Which one of you said something to Rodney McLeod? So I think that was like game nine in 2016. And at that point, he said, Doug Peterson said, we'll we'll, we'll form like a captain's committee or whatever it's called, John. And we'll be on whatever day, Wednesday, Tuesday. And whatever your grievances are, um what is it the airing of the grievances from Seinfeld we will air our grievances on that day and go forward that created the culture you see now all of a sudden Fletcher Cox couldn't be a, a goof off anymore he had to represent the defensive line all of a sudden Carson Wentz for better or worse had to represent the offense Kelsey had to represent the offensive line um, and Malcolm Jenkins, who's probably the best leader they've had in the last 50 years, except for Brian Dawkins. Malcolm Jenkins represented the the defensive backs and really the whole team. We talk a lot about, you know, Kelsey B and this guy or that guy. Malcolm Jenkins was the guy that ran that team.
1: I so agree, that man. that
7: culture re- remains today. So last year you had a guy you had Darius Slay and Fletcher Cox. Thing one and thing two, in the, in the pantheon of goof-offs and, you know, guys you don't expect to be great leaders, pulling aside C.J. Gardner-Johnson and saying, this is how we do stuff here. That's the culture you have, and that's why they drafted Jalen Carter, because they think that culture will help yeah. keep him between, this is a horrible analogy, but it'll help keep him between the white lines and the guard rails.
4: L- Let me follow up on the uh, team group dynamic of the coaches picking veteran players veteran players, some volunteering to be leaders and be part of a committee to sit down. And as you say, air the grievances. Andy did that, right? So was it the chip error where that got dropped? Did no. Peterson not install it the day that he came back to be the head coach
7: having been under Andy Reed, as long as he was. Andy Reed didn't do that. And he Andy didn't have Reed... a veteran committee. No, he didn't have a veteran committee like this. This veterans committee has a voice, and the coach listens to it and does stuff. So. Andy Reid's culture, Andy Reid, one of the reasons Andy Reid is so despised by so many people in the league is that he'll sign anybody. He doesn't care about culture. He cares about results. He believes that his personality, the strength of his personality, will keep things stable. And we've seen, you know, between players getting in getting 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 in trouble saying things, his sons, you know, on staff. One guy dies of a heroin overdose on team property.
5: It's astonishing, Marcus. I I, I wasn't here. And at the, the time. other
7: and the other guy driving home driving home from a team facility, driving home from a team facility gets into a car crash that almost kills three people, including himself, and he's in jail. So no, Andy Reid doesn't have a culture. Andy Reid has a roster. Andy Reid hires mercenaries as coaches and players, and hopes that the people who are uh, of high character will take care of the rest. Patrick Mahomes' brother is in the news. Yeah, I mean it's a it's it, they have a lot of talent down there. But if if Kansas City was a Philadelphia or L.A. or New York or Boston, it would be considered a, a, a renegade organization. And the, the myth of Andy Reid is uh, is just it, – it's it's astonishing to watch. Um, I, I, I just I, – I've never gotten that. Uh, Andy Andy Reid is a very strong personality, and he runs the franchise that he's in. But this is the guy whose signature move in Philadelphia was making George Hegeman push a blocking sled up and down uh, the, the practice turf – out behind the vet in his first training camp, and then cutting him. Yeah. I mean, players hate Andy Reid. They, some, they
4: but so, some some worship at the altar of Andy Reid. Yeah,
5: uh, I, and, I, I and think it, a ooh. lot of superstars do. Like ooh, uh, ooh. Travis does. Travis Kelsey, uh, Patrick. Obviously, he's very close to quarterbacks.
7: No, I mean, I mean from that era, from the oh. Eagles era. Yeah, well, Reed has a lot more in common with Belichick than he does with you know, uh, Tony Dungy.
5: um, Uh, yeah, I wasn't here, but I will say I don't want to re legislate, but I'm always to this day, Marcus. I think it was 2012 Mm -hmm. when Garrett passed away at training camp with enough steroids to fuel the entire NFL
7: as a strength coach,
5: as a strength coach on an NFL team, I I'm always shocked that to this day, that's not the biggest scandal in NFL
7: history. I, it's, it's, a, it's astonishing. I've done my part. I've done all I can do when Andy got fired at the end of that year. I said, this is what you're getting. This, this culture is what you're getting. This is going to happen again. And guess what? It happened well, again. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the way, they, the, uh, Both of his sons got in trouble that same day. I think that was, and you were here, I wasn't Mm -hmm. here. I think that was the start of the downfall of Andy Reid in Philadelphia because he had to go away, he did that, and all of a sudden Joe Banner stepped in, took some sort of power vacuum. Uh, I think that started the end, but you were there, you probably know a little bit better, maybe we can legislate that. Down well, the road, because it's a very interesting story. Well,
7: it, it's funny because the year, so Andy gets, gets fired. And the next training camp, I walk up to Jason Peters, who had the Achilles injuries that year. And I asked him, I was like, uh, you think if you played, Andy's still a coach? I, I believe this is the right timeline. And he said, absolutely. I'm that good. I would make that big a difference. He was, And he's the best player on the team. He's the best player yeah. the team for like five or six years. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, and it wasn't close, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, but he was like, yeah, absolutely. Andy would still be here. We'd won enough games, yada, yada, yada. So I said that to say like, in spite of the culture issues and in spite of the personnel issues and in spite of Andy being Andy, he, you know, he has good football teams that have chances to win with the prop personnel. And certainly I think one of the things that how we learned that year in, in particular is that you have to have offensive line depth, real depth. And it has to be kind of like backup quarterback depth. So if you think you have a chance to win, you have this uh, extreme luxury of one or two starting caliber offensive linemen who you've spent money on and who you've spent draft picks on, or else it is not feasible, it's not viable. You can plug and play every other position. But offensive line and quarterback, you cannot plug and play.
4: All right, so let let me circle back to – John's question we got off on a little bit of a tangent very interesting tangent at that thank you Marcus but um the Eagles culture right now Nick Sirianni comes in rookie head coach doesn't handle his first press briefing all that well people are going Nick who Saban Sirianni what the hell Uh, and since the day he took over, the culture has been pretty darn good, and he has aligned his leaders in the locker room, and they had good veterans the day he walked in the door, and they're still damn good veterans, and they're keys to the Eagle's success last year. Did he just do this of his own? Was he this good, this ingrained in how a culture of a football team should work? Did he take guidance from a guy like Howie Roseman, who was here under Doug Peterson, who you said did the right thing after an early stumble out of the block, put his ducks in a row to keep the leadership in position. How did the Eagles come about the culture that they have right now?
7: Well, uh, as I said, it's, it's all stems from the Vonte's perfect incident. And Nick Sirianni, is coincidental to the success of this team. This team was excellently built, um, has stayed very, very healthy, and the culture that existed when he arrived remains. If you guys remember, I think it was the Flower Power speech that got leaked out or he leaked it himself. He leaked it himself. (laughs) Before the Detroit Lions game, right? And after the Detroit Lions game, I think Jason Kelsey – broke the locker room post-game huddle with something like flower power or roots on three or something like that. At that point, Nick Sirianni was accepted by the culture that already existed. He has nothing to do with the the, the existence of the culture that the Philadelphia Eagles have right now. Um, It's Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and Fletcher Cox. It's um, Brandon Graham you know, you get a guy like Hassan Reddick, who totally fits the culture, who is incredibly professional, who wants to win, who wants to work. You know, these are Howie Roseman uh, decisions. These are not Dick Sirianni uh, decisions. He doesn't influence it. He He's happy to have it. But, you know, if you look at what Dick Sirianni did, has done in the last six months, you could argue that he is completely – dismissive of culture you can't hire you cannot hire matt patricia and worry and and be concerned about your culture you can't fire uh denard wilson denard wilson right um and and think that it's not going to matter the most volatile player on your team is darius slay who endorsed denard wilson to be defensive coordinator and who despises matt patricia darius slay is one of your you know i can't believe i'm saying this you know, knowing who he is and the kind of guy he is not that he's a bad guy, but he's kind of a a wafty guy. He's one of the biggest leaders on the team. And you have just spat in his face twice. Nick Sirianni, if anything needs a lesson in culture.
5: Wow. I like, this is why I love Marcus. Uh, He is not afraid to take a strong opinion.
7: And that's not a shot at Sean Desai. You know, Sean Desai is an innocent bystander here, but you know, Uh, Now,
5: uh, that's why I brought up at the beginning, though, when I brought up, and you just mentioned, Kelsey, uh, uh, Brandon, Lane, um, Fletcher, uh, the so-called core four of of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, we've been saying this for years, but I really think this is it for Jason Kelsey. I said that this time last year, but I really think this is it. He's out at the broadcast boot camp. uh, He loves doing the podcast. This is it. If he does leave, you know Lane has started. Hey, two more years. He started saying that about November. Um, if he goes, Fletcher, sort of a descending player. We all know Brandon said fifteen years. I want to get the fifteen years. Then he's out. If when those guys leave, is it then incumbent on Nick Sirianni to care about that culture because? I don't think it's easy to replace those guys. And I'll go out to Chicago, Marcus. I don't know if you saw it, but Ryan Poles, the GM out there, basically admitted on air, on a station out there, I couldn't take Jalen Carter. The Eagles could because of that locker room and that group. I think he would have loved to have taken Jalen Carter from the way he talked. Can't prove it, but from the way he talked, but he admitted, can't do it. Young GM can't take that kind of chance. Does everything change? Does everything have to ramp up when these four guys walk out the door?
7: When does the season start this year? What's the first day? What do you guys remember like the September 9th or something like that? I think 10th. Uh, okay. So on September 10th, those four guys are irrelevant. On September 10th, this becomes Jalen Hurts' team. He's making 260 million dollars. He's of unimpeachable character. He has a an unparalleled work ethic. And he is not afraid of anyone. So though they have the replacement already. They have Peyton Manning. You know, they have the guy that's gonna run the franchise. Furthermore, on the other side of the ball, I'm convinced that N'Kobe Dean who is a dynamic person is going to be a dynamic player. And we've already seen the character of Hassan Reddick. So they're covered. They, I don't think you'll see as much of Fletcher and Brandon in the locker room this year in deference to uh, Nakobe Dean, Hassan Reddick and Jordan Davis, who also seems to be a pretty remarkable guy. So I think we're going to see a torch pass, John. But the torch bearer clearly is Jalen Hurts, who has been the same exact high character guy, sometimes a little petty, sometimes a little snippy, but uh, the same exact high character guy from the day he was drafted in the second round, sat behind Carson Wentz for 12 games, started for four games, endured two off seasons of his own team looking for improvements. And came out the other side as an MVP candidate smelling like roses. So their culture is covered. And uh, you got to credit Jeffrey Lurie for that.
4: Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman who got the deal done and got Jalen
7: locked up. No credit to Howie Roseman for getting it (laughs) done. Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie is the one who wanted to draft Jalen Hurts. And Jeffrey Lurie is writing the check. Jeffrey Lurie said to Howie Roseman, do what you have to do. But none of it happens without Jeffrey Lurie entering last season. Jeffrey Lurie wasn't looking for uh, uh, somebody to entering last offseason, not this past offseason, but the one before. Jeffrey Lurie wasn't looking for someone to run the team. He was completely sold on Jalen Hurts. Howie Roseman was. You have to credit Jeffrey Lurie, who wanted to draft Jalen Hurts more than Doug or Howie did. Jeffrey Lurie, this is this is his baby. He wanted to draft Jalen Hurts.
4: Yeah, but and, hold, and, hold on a minute, Marcus. If that were the case, and again, you're on top of this, John's on top of those questions for both you guys. They investigated Deshaun Watson. We we all agree on that, right? They looked into it. Oh, him. yeah. They, they asked if Deshaun would consider playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. If you don't get to that, it, 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 to get to that point, the owner has to give his blessing. You don't even have the conversation. You don't investigate Deshaun Watson if the owner doesn't say, yeah, my team, my Philadelphia Eagles, we would take Deshaun Watson as the quarterback under the right situation and circumstances. So then he's in the same place as Howie Roseman. They were both looking for a potential replacement for uh, Jalen Hurts. So uh, how did Jeffrey get all the credit and how he gets none?
7: As I said, that was a Howie Roseman production. Jeffrey Lurie said, "I I employ you to do the best thing for the team. The day that I say you can't go look at that guy or we can't be interested in that guy for the right deal is the day I need to fire you because you have to do your job. I mean, you look across the street. That's what Daryl Morey is doing right now with James Harden. I don't believe the Sixers ownership is, is, is sold on James Harden. Daryl Morey certainly is. So you have to listen to the guy who's making your who's whose job it is to evaluate this stuff and make decisions. I would contend that there would have been very little interest in Deshaun Watson if uh, Tom Donahoe had been the Eagles general manager because Jeffrey Lurie was not that interested in Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson or uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, for that matter. You know, all the guys that were rumored to be moving, the big three that were rumored to be moving last offseason. He loved Jalen Hurts. He thought Jalen Hurts had a very high ceiling, made a lot of sense for them, and wanted to see what they had. But he's employing a guy who's the executive of the year two times now. It, you'd be foolish not to listen to him and indulge him. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, I will say this. Had they gotten to the point where they might have been able to acquire Deshaun Watson, you know, after Dom DeSandro went down there and did his investigations or whatever, I'm not. I'm not sold that they would have. Because oh yeah. never
5: never giving him that contract. Never. It, well, I I thing. I agree. Now, right. now that we're we're I give I give Jeffrey Laurie a ton of credit. Jody knows this. I think you know he doesn't get enough credit for being a strong owner. When they need something, they don't have to worry about Jalen Hurts's contract, they don't have to worry about escrow. I don't think he would have given Deshaun Watson the contract he got. So ultimately, even if he considered Philadelphia, I don't think he would have been here. But, I'm all, I am all—I mean, this team, and they want us to forget. I tell Jody this all the time, Marcus. They want us to forget. Oh, they wanted Russell Wilson. They wanted Deshaun Watson. They were not sold on Jalen Hurts. And now there's sort of this revisionist history where, oh, they – and they did a great job with Jalen, by the way, they're still, they were still moving forward. They were still developing. I think where Jeffrey was completely sold on Jalen hurts was as a person. I mean, I think we were all sold on Jalen hurts as a person, just the work ethic, the character, um, his ability. And, and I want to circle back to the Sixers with that him versus Joel Embiid. Um, couldn't be a, a bastard I'm not there all the time with the Sixers you are I think they were sold on Jalen Hurts the person but I don't think they were sold on on Jalen Hurts the football player and they well, were they were they were uncovering every rock to get better at the most important position
7: well then you're calling Jeffrey Lurie a liar because well, after um, they after they went to the uh, after they won the NFC championship game I have written several times in this phrasing um You know, the project quarterback has been a huge success. And he pulled me aside after everybody was talking to him outside the uh, owner's, or not the owner, the uh, coach's locker room. And he said, listen, I've seen you several times write that we consider Jalen Hurts a project quarterback. And that's true to a degree, but I never did. I thought Jalen Hurts could have started as a rookie. I thought Jalen Hurts was going to have a gigantically high ceiling. I'm glad that it's worked out. I've been a Jalen Hurts guy all along. And I was like, well, what about the other guys, Jeffrey? He's like, look, we have to do our due diligence. You know, these these are accomplished players. We have to do our due diligence. But at the end of the day, I believe this. Now, I don't get to, you know, I I don't put my foot down and tell the uh, coaches and GM, no, we're going to do this with this big a decision. Because, again, that's why we're here. So after he said that, after he told me that, I spent about 24 hours asking around like was Jeffrey you know as eager to get Russell Wilson or as eager to get Deshaun Watson or whoever as you know other people in the building and the answer was consistently no and I wrote that column so that's you know you can disbelieve him you can say it's revisionist if you like but I don't think I've ever had Jeffrey Lurie lie to me
5: now I think lies too strong a word like You remember the famous press conference where Jeffrey said he was only involved in three picks, three picks in his history as an owner. One was Russell Wilson. Another was Jordan Mailata. And the third, I can't remember. I don't think it was Jalen Hurts. The third, I can't remember. I'll try to look it up as we get the break. Yeah, I'm calling. I'm calling. he
4: He didn't cop to the Stanford wide receiver that they took in the second round. No,
5: he did not. Comp to uh, uh, he he did not admit JJ Ortega White. Now, I look, Jody asked me all the time, Did did the Eagles say Jalen Hurts couldn't be a starter when they drafted him? That's not how football people talk. I mean, they take the 90th guy on the roster, they just signed Charleston Rambo. They're not going to say, Oh, he can't do this, they're going to talk about what he can do. So they talk about things in a certain way. But, yeah, I'll I'll say to Jeffrey, and I'll say it to his face, yeah, I'm calling shenanigans if you say you're involved with three picks and they just happen to be all home runs. You know, it wasn't J.J., it wasn't Jalen Rager, it wasn't some of the things that went off the rails. It was Russell Wilson, which was the white whale of this team. This team can't stop talking about Russell Wilson, Marcus. Oh, we love Russell Wilson. Well, they loved him so much. Pick him in the second round. Don't wait till the third round. Uh, and and get usurped by by another team. And Jordan Mylotta, obviously. I mean, let's give Stout some credit there. And I have to look up the third one. Uh, but yeah, it was nobody, also a home. Might have been lane. Might have been lane. Nobody gets
7: credit for seventh round picks. Yeah. You know, the Jordan Mylotta, Jason Kelsey stuff. Again, uh, to, your logic is if you love Russell Wilson so much in the set in the third, in, if you love him so much, you pick him in the second round. Yeah. Well, if you knew Jordan, my and Jason Kelsey were going to be what they're going to be, they don't like last the first round. You know, yeah. you don't draft them on day three. You got lucky, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know I'm not sure about the timeline when Jeffrey said that. Um, but you know, I do know that you know he's he's pulled me aside five times in the 28 years I've covered the team. And each time, you know, it's, it's proven to be true. And, you know, I think he's a lot less involved now, especially, than he has been in the past. And I think it's gone up and down. When Andy got real power, Jeffrey was no longer involved. But when Ray Rhodes was here, after a couple of years, he was very involved. And I think when Chip was here, he wasn't involved early or late in those three years. And um, when Doug was here, he was involved the entire time up to his hips, you know, Uh, not necessarily with draft picks, but with draft picks and play calling and coaching Coaching. and development and roster and all that sort of stuff. Um, But I will say, you know, in general, um, Jeffrey is involved as he thinks he needs to be. He'd much rather not be involved. He'd much rather sort of hire the right people and let them do their job. And when he's hired the right people and let them do their job, those two things have happened nicely. When he, for example, in 17, after Howie hired uh, Joe Douglas and Andy Weidel, Jeffrey was very hands-off with the personnel at that point. It was Howie's, it was Howie's last chance, if you remember. He had he'd yeah. come back from exile and it was his last, and I think 17 was his last year because I fired him after 16. He did some horrible things in 2016. You know, that, that team was a clown show. But when he, after he made the moves in 16, he hired those two guys and they and Howie sort of set the, set, the, set the ship straight. And I think Howie learned a lot from Joe Douglas and Andy Weidel who have expertise that he doesn't have. And I think both of them benefited from being with Howie as well. So
4: then here's a quick key question for me. What is Jeffrey Lurie's opinion of Nick Sirianni as of right now? You say he's less involved than he used to be, but he's more involved than it sometimes. So his involvement is what it is. What is it, his opinion of his third-year head coach?
7: Well, um, I believe it was the. It was either the Jets or the Giants game two years ago, John. You remember they had back-to-back Meadowlands trips? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Jalen played really great in one of them, and Gardner Minshew played really great in the other. Yeah. It was after one of those Gardner trips. Gardner against the
5: Jets, yeah. Okay, yeah.
7: so it was after one of those games, uh, I asked Nick Sirianni whether the Tuesday meetings were continued, and he said no. The, the Tuesday meetings being the, the, the meetings Doug that Peterson, the Athletic yeah. reported that – uh, Howie <laughs> and Jeffrey would speak with Doug Peterson even after wins where the offense had played well, and suggest that maybe they should do X or Y. Usually, pass more <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and that was the Green leaked. Bay game. They upset
5: clearly. the Packers, and you know, why didn't you throw it more? Uh, but
7: that was relatively common, and you know that was clearly leaked by Doug Peterson um, after he'd been fired and held this resentment. But um, and I think Jeffrey learned from that. You know, so to answer your question, Jody, I think when he hired Nick Sirianni, number one, Nick Sirianni was his candidate. Nick Sirianni was a guy that he did the research on, a guy that had sort of like shown up and <clears throat> shown out as, as an interview, the way Andy Reid did. Um, it wasn't Chip Kelly, who was the flavor of the month, and it wasn't Doug Peterson, who Andy Reid told, told Jeffrey Lurie to hire. You know, he said, look, just hire Doug. And everything else will work out. Hire Jim, Jim. Hire Jim Schwartz first.
5: That's true. <laughs> then
7: hire Doug. Then hire Doug's entire staff.
5: Now um, you know, Marcus. Though they were trying to hire Adam Gase back then. Yeah. So sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I Crazy eyes. And they had uh, Wait, who was
7: the other? Who was the Seattle defensive coordinator? Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley. I mean, like Gus Bradley that was too. Chip.
5: Yeah, the Chip. Uh, when Chip oh, was not going to leave. Uh the Doug year it was Adam Gase first, and then Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo, right? And as the story right. goes, wait, Ben was, was it... on. Ben was on the way down the Jersey Turnpike when the Giants got the uh, to take the job. When the Giants got him to turn around,
7: right? At, and was yeah. was Coughlin the Doug? Coughlin,
5: year? Coughlin. A lot of people say Coughlin was the third. I I don't know. I never got confirmation of that. Maybe you did.
7: Well, it reminds um, me. You remember when Charlie got hired by the Phillies? Um, they were like done with the search. And then Jim Leland s- told somebody in Pittsburgh or Florida, yeah. Hey, I would, I wouldn't mind being a candidate for that job. Yeah. So they had to interview Jim Leland, <laughs> So Jim Leland, um, interviews and I get his, I have his number from somewhere. I don't know where I got it. And he interviews, he's gone, going home. So I call him and I was like, Hey Jim, this is Marcus Hayes from the Philadelphia daily news. I worked for daily news at that point. And I was like, hey, uh, can you talk for a minute about your interview? And he's like, yeah, hold on, Marcus. Okay, go ahead. I was like, how would it go? He's, said, like, I think they're going to give the job at Charlie. I think they got their mind made up. It's not a problem. He's a good guy. He's a good manager. Probably a better fit. You get- hold on a second. All right. So six, car door opens, car door closes. Six minutes later, car door open, car door closes. He, Jim's like, all right, I'm back. I was like, is everything okay, Jim? He says, yeah, I just had to buy some cigarettes.
4: <laughs> oh, that's Leland.
7: I can guarantee was, you that. He was driving. He had driven from Pittsburgh. He was driving home on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, saw a number he didn't recognize, answered the call, trusted that I was who I said I was, put me on hold, get coffee and cigarettes from a rest area, <laughs> and talk to me for 10 minutes more getting back on the turnpike which i think was illegal back then i don't think you could have your cell phone up and i'm you know jim leland didn't have a bluetooth or a headset in 2005 or six or whatever it was so uh but yeah the coughlin candidacy reminded me of the jim leland episode where you had a guy who wanted to be a candidate you know i I think jeffrey was interested in him sort of theoretically but i don't think jeffrey was no, I was in uh, yeah. interested in dealing with the Tom Coughlin experience in Philadelphia, which would have been a disaster.
5: Yeah. Well, I think Adam Gase would have been, oh, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. Oh,
7: so much with Crazy Eyes. Remember that oh. guy? Oh, man, that would have been fun. Where'd he go, Miami? Miami. Yeah.
5: Uh, you know, he, he came in. Remember, this was coming off Chip, and he wanted everything. He wanted power over everything. Mm-hmm. Yep, the Eagles he was, were ready to hire him. Yep, and yep. he was like, "I need this. I need that."
4: So, what yeah. about the Mike? And he was uh, a loser in two places: Miami yeah. and the Jets. Right. He's oh, right. a Jets coach. Don't forget, he was a Jets coach. He's worse with the Jets than he was with Miami.
7: Everybody is. Um. What about <laughs> now? Who's the guy? Did, did the guy in Miami? No, the guy in Miami now took over for Flores, right? Yeah. So Mike they've gone Miami, from yeah. Gates, who's insane, to Flores, who accused the owner of wanting to lose on purpose, to this guy. Mike uh,
5: Mc, uh Mike McDaniel Mike yeah.
7: McDaniel who dances during the during the stretches. Have you seen this yeah. video?
5: Oh yeah, yeah. he's a knucklehead. Yeah. I mean he's-
7: it's just he's a like what kind of program is that? Like, can't wow. they hire an a? Like, and the whole
5: time they... he's trying to get Tom Brady to break every rule yes, and yes, and, 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 and try to come to take over the. Yeah,
7: it is yeah, an absolute honest. clown show down
4: there. Yeah. Talk about culture. Yeah, the yeah. culture coming down from Stephen Ross, not the best in Miami. Best, I think right. we can yeah. all agree on that. one. <laughs> Marcus, thank you very much for hanging as long as you did. Appreciate it, it, buddy. It. That's we'll all I to get back up again Thanks, soon another.
5: That's all I get at Incnksta wretch, <laughs> by the way, follow Marcus on twitter enquire sports radio WIP. You can listen to him there. The tremendous Marcus Hayes. Thank you, buddy.
4: Thanks, boys. See you later. Marcus Hayes uh, from the Inquirer. 40 minutes. We kept Marcus. We try and hold him to about yeah, Mar- 20. Marcus 25. is great. We got Marcus the... just goes. He's like a top. You yeah. wind him up and you let him go. We got
5: in the Garrett Reed discussion, Jeffrey. Yeah, I've got that. Now, Marcus is much closer to Jeffrey than I am. He's been around for 28 years. But, yeah, there are times you know i say jeffrey laurie eagles fans don't appreciate how good an owner jeffrey laurie is i say it all the time but there are certain things i'll call shenanigans on like i said those three draft picks i mean give me a break jeffrey um the the coaching stuff during the doug peterson era now he, he he was too involved um And, and the fact that th- this team was looking to move on from Jalen Hurts. It's not my fault.
4: Right. And here's they where... They like
5: everybody else.
4: Here's where I'll part ways with Marcus on Jeffrey can <laughs> do no wrong. Um, so you're going to tell me that Jeffrey, draft night, uh, as uh, we see from time to time, the pounding of the table, jumped in and said, <clears throat> we're taking Jalen Hurts with this second round selection that he was that much in control that he dictated the Eagles second round pick in the draft. But a year later, he's, well, I can't really tell how he went to do. If I'm going to tell how he went to do, then why would I have him as a general manager? If he's got the job, I got to let him do his job. So you'll dictate draft picks but you won't dictate the acquisition of a guy who's been in so much trouble, the league doesn't even know how to handle him going forward. You'll leave that responsibility to somebody else. But a second-round draft pick, you're going to dictate we're taking this quarterback, who we may have as a backup. But I have foreseen the future, and he's going to become an MVP candidate. Come on. Really? Really? You're yeah, no, I mean, I,
5: yeah, eight. I mean, there's there's certain things, and yeah, that's got to be approved at the highest level if you're even going to have the discussion um, with Deshaun Watson. It was very, by the way, all the Deshaun Watson stuff. I wrote about it way back in the day. It's essentially a ten-minute phone call, maybe less, because he wasn't coming here for whatever reason. Now later, I learned he's very close to Jalen Hurts. Uh, they worked out with the same uh, quarterbacks coach, right. um, and and from everything I got, Deshaun did not want to take Jalen's opportunity away from Jalen Hurts. Um, um, they were very close. Now, as I said at the time, if he had no other opportunities, he would have. I think he would have considered it. But everybody wanted Deshaun Watson basically, even with all the problems. Everybody looking for a quarterback. Obviously, I hope people understand what I'm saying. Um, so he had plenty of other options. You know, Atlanta's going after him hard. Carolina's going after him hard. Cleveland's going after a bunch of other teams. Get um, tons of options. So he's like, I don't want to upset what Jalen's right. got going Makes on. Sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, come on. Are we gonna? I. It, and Russell Wilson, the Eagles never stopped talking about the damn guy from when they, they missed out on him in the draft. Oh, we just would have gotten Russell Wilson. I mean, like I said, he's their white whale. Um, now now they're thrilled, obviously.
4: I, I was going to say they should be glad they missed uh, the white whale again because and yeah. they tried now, to form, now, made the kind of deal that the uh, – But that's the Broncos same thing.
5: Did. And you and I talk about it all the time. NFL teams don't like, and we got to hit the break, I know, they don't like the term luck. But as Marcus brought up, there's a lot of luck involved with Jordan Mailata and Jason Kelsey. Let's be honest. I mean, they developed him, but nobody's sitting there taking a a center in the sixth round, uh, you know, saying, oh, now Howie will tell the story of Howard Mudd saying, First time he got a look, he's going to start, and maybe that's true, but nobody's taking anybody in the sixth round. Going, oh, he's going to the Pro Hall Football of Hall of Fame. I mean, come on.
4: Now that's where luck does come in. Both. All right, yeah, long segment. We we'll take a quickie timeout. Ben Solak, the ring is going to join us. Coming up, in less than fifteen minutes. Stay right here. McMullen, mac, and mac here on birds 365 we thank marcus hayes for coming on he does 40 minutes ago that's it again stick around love marcus uh even though i don't always agree with every stance he takes and everything that uh he by the reports. way what's
5: lane johnson jody lane oh was the
4: third player. of the yeah. jeff Laurie yes. seriously involved in the selection yes. process yes magically
5: uh, Magically three home runs tremendous home
4: thousand runs. batting average for the owner yeah. of the Eagles. Um, I want, I will confirm without actually knowing, but I can uh, n- knowing the individual he's talking about, I can pretty much guarantee it was a true story he told about Jim Leland. Uh, oh quick,
5: yeah, Jim.
4: Yeah. Quick aside. Um, I've covered the baseball winter meetings twice uh, once when I was on the Sirius XM baseball channel and once when I was on WFAN in New York. And the two times I covered it was in Arlington, Texas, just outside of Dallas. And it's always in December. So the Eagles, I went to an Eagles-Cowboys game and the starting quarterback for the Cowboys was Randall Cunningham, nice. which was really weird. Uh, Aikman uh, had just gone down with a concussion. So Randall was coming off the bench and tickets were readily available. Eagles, Cowboys, we scalped tickets. Secondary. This was before the secondary ticket market uh, many years ago, but we got our hands on tickets because the Cowboys were really bad that year. Uh, so could easily go to the was game. Is that the
5: one in 15 year?
4: Might have been. It was the year A-Rod and Manny were both free agents. No, uh, so no, no it was well, explained. well after, yeah, well after, yeah. uh, well after that, one and fifteen. Yeah. Um, Jimmy had already come and gone by then. I forget who the coach was. I, damn, I should remember this. But anyway, um, the the point I'm trying to make is, it friggin' snowed in Dallas. There was an ice storm in Dallas. Yeah, man. In December,
5: people well, couldn't had get out because yeah. all the planes oh, were canceled. They can't do anything in ice down there. They had the Super Bowl down there and there was an ice storm. It was a disaster.
4: The the Um, whole town comes to a halt. So I spent a lot of quality time in the hotel. Um, Leland was, I don't think he was there that one. But the other one I went to was in Indianapolis. Usually they have them in Palm Springs in some very warm locale in December to let people get away and have a good time. Yeah, the two times I went, ice in Dallas, And Indianapolis was one of the windiest couple of days I ever spent in my entire life. You had to stay inside the whole town. Like boards were flying by the hotel with construction going down. It was ridiculous. The two times I went, god awful weather. But I was in Indy and went outside one time to have a smoke. And here's Jim Leland. He's just standing there. And <laughs> I knew him from when he was with the Tigers. He knew my father. So he reckoned, hey, Jody, how's dad? Blah, blah, blah. So I shoot the breeze with him. We just stand there and smoke for five minutes, finish off our cigarettes. He says, I'll see you back here in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't smoke every 20 minutes. I smoke about every hour and a half, somewhere thereabouts, over the course of a day. You
5: should have done it then to get more. uh, I was
4: considering it. Yes. Thank you very much, Johnny Mac. So I go back out an hour later, which was a little earlier than I probably would. I'm just hoping to see Leland. Oh, he was there. He's waiting. Hey, Joe, how are you? Where were you last time? Yes. He was a chain smoker. Jim Leland was a stone cold chain smoker. He couldn't get
5: out of an inning before ducking in the dugout to get a few drags in. Uh yeah.
4: One of my father's favorite piece pull in the history of uh, all his low to sixty years in baseball. Just flat out loved uh, Jimmy as a guy and as a manager. So when Marcus told that story, man, did that ring true to me. Had to pull over, go get a pack of smokes, leave Marcus on hold for six minutes while he goes into a, a rest spot on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Oh, that sounds exactly like Leland. All right, again, appreciate Marcus coming on and stirring the pot with us a little bit. Let me ask you about, you asked him a question, and again, we went off on a tangent. The chemistry of the Eagles. Uh, the 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 character of the Eagles, um, you rightfully asked, well, what happens when? Because th- there's a realistic possibility at the end of this year, Fletcher Cox is no longer an Eagle. Brandon Graham is no longer an Eagle. Jason Kelsey is no longer an Eagle. I would say on all of them, 50-50 barrier, yay or nay, will they be back? I would put all three of them at less than 50%. Would you?
5: Uh, yes, yes, yes.
4: We're less than 50 to come back. Now,
5: Lane more. He
4: um, may come back. I'm putting Lane off to the side. because yeah, yeah, we all think Lane's got minimum of two years left. Um, So we won't be talking about his retirement unless there's some catastrophic injury during this offseason. I just- think the Eagles
5: want to get Brandon to 15 years. So he's hedging on him a little bit Um, as long as he's, you know, he played very well last year. As long as he plays at a competent level, I think they'll get him to 15 because he meets so much to the organization. I think we're at 14. I got to double check. Um, he's He says he wants to play 15 years, and then he's out, and I believe him. Um, so maybe 51 on him uh, right there, though, 50-50
4: and those are key leaders on this team for their character and their culture, just all drops on Jalen's shoulders going forward. It's not the worst thing if it happens because we uh, think he can he handle can it. Shoulder it.
5: He can handle it by the way. I, 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 I kind of agree with Marcus, even though I asked the question, I didn't ask it for a specific response. I think he is that, that big of a leader. He is that good of a leader. I think he can handle it. Um I think it is his team. I think Marcus is right about that. Already it's his team. Um Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue with him. Um You know, he's you know, a, part of it is the marketing, you know, a different breed. He's a different he's a different breed, man. That's what I was you know, I was going to I my, my daily shot at Joel Embiid, you know, nobody's got more talent than Joel Embiid. He doesn't got the other stuff. Right. Just doesn't. Um, this guy's this guy's different. He is. He is. And to the point where, like I said, you know, I hate to pick on Carson Wentz, but he was the quarterback before. Carson Wentz, and, and but I think more quarterbacks are like Carson than Jalen. Like if as an offensive player, if your team signs a defensive back, you're, you're going to go, Oh, that's nice. Maybe you say that's nice from wherever you are. Jalen goes out of his way to, you know, can I get this guy's number? Can I, you know, you know, welcome to the team. Just something as simple as that. Most guys don't think that way. As simple as that is.
4: And uh, the Eagles have him in place for however many years going forward, which is going to be absolutely huge for them. Do you think Marcus undersold how much a part of the culture that is the Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Sirianni?
5: Yeah. you made it yeah. sound well, like it's I, all I, the but, players yeah.
4: and Nick just kind of along yeah. for the ride. I thought and that until was... Jason Kelsey confirm the plant story narrative that Nick wasn't given any credit for the culture of the team. I don't, I don't buy that. I think that the players with <laughs> yeah, the blessing of the veteran guys who have been here and won a super bowl. I think he is as big a part the this side of Jalen hurts as anyone in that uh, room, as far as culture goes.
5: Yeah. I think that was a little bit unfair. Um, He's obsessed with that kind of stuff to the point where it's annoying you know connection blah blah blah. Um, I kind of roll my eyes when I hear it but he he it, it is meaningful to him um, you know CJ's a perfect example of this like CJ's a pain in the ass <laughs> I, mean, I you know he doesn't have a problem taking that on. And, and tackling that he's a part of it as well. The locker room's a big part of it. I'm not trying to say it isn't. Um, but, you know, CJ was on with Kay Adams, I think, I don't know if you saw it, uh, but it was last week or this week, might've been this week. Um, and he's talking about, you know, the saints and they don't understand him, And now the Eagles don't understand them. Um and before it was the Saints didn't, un- but the Eagles understand them, and next year it'll be the Lions. The Lions understand. don't understand
4: them. Oh, yeah. yeah, I agree with that.
5: Um, you know, Nick Nick's not afraid to bring in these types of players and, and try to get the best out of them as well. So he's a part of it. Um you know, he talks about a spy core coaching philosophies, and that's number one. Um I mean If you can't help the players, ultimately it comes down, especially with pro players. um, If you can't help them get better and they don't respect you as a coach, you're not going to go anywhere. So ultimately I think that part of it is the most important part of being a coach. Um, But he gets along with people and you know, this was a difficult team to win over because they had all these veteran players who, by the way, had success and won a Super Bowl with the last regime. So all of them liked Doug. Um, And there were certain, Fletcher being the most notable, like he wasn't happy um, early on. And he won him over and he won Kelsey over and he won Lane over and he won um all these players over. That wasn't easy to do coming off Super Bowl. You know, what do you what do you think when you're when you win the Super Bowl, there's a natural inclination, well we did it this way. You know, why am I going to do it this way? Now Kelsey's like if if Nick wasn't here, he'd be retired two right. years ago.
4: I, I was going to say, Howie Roseman helped with that <clears> by telling him, listen, we're going to do less in practice because, you know, every coach would rather practice more than less. But that, if they're, they're dictated to by the powers that, that part be, I agree with. we're going to uh, ask these players <laughs> to do less. All oh, the players, specifically the veteran players. Young players might not actually like it as much because they're still on the learning curve and they want to get better. But the veteran guys are... Oh yeah, let's practice. That's good by us at this stage of our career. But he, so, but make, but he also
5: he also toggles between that in developing the young players. Like he doesn't treat everybody like he treats Jason Kelsey. And that's you know, that managing personalities is is a part of it as well. Um so he's a good coach. I mean,
4: and one other quick question before we take a timeout. We hope uh, <clears throat> Ben Solak uh, should be joining us. There he is. Uh, quick answer to this one, if you could, John. Um, did I just make that up? Maybe it wasn't as formal as it was under Doug Peterson, but didn't Andy Reid have a committee of veteran leaders?
5: I wasn't here when Andy was here, but um, typically people do. Um, typically... I don't know if he did. Um, I wasn't here at the time. It probably wasn't as involved as it was under Doug. Um, It was like a really big thing with Doug. Um, But I don't know. I don't know. And I, honest answer.
4: My memory is, and my memory isn't as good as some others. And I've never, quote unquote, been on the beat. I think Doug le- learned that at the feet of Andy. I remember it here in Philadelphia with Dawko with Trotter and the like that Andy Reid leaned heavily on his guys and had meetings with his veteran guys, more defense than offense, because Andy did oversee kind of all the offense. But uh, Marcus just dismissed that out of hand as <clears> it never <throat> happened. Yeah. And I don't remember it quite. I better. was in
5: Minneapolis, so I can't uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't see from there. So. I, really? It's not a rare thing, though. He is John McMahon. I'm
4: Jody McDonald. We see the Ben Solak from The Ringer, and uh, many a podcast is going to join us next, so stay right here on Bird Street 65.
6: Weather forecasting is a team game.
4: We rely on each other every day, updating the models and passing
9: along new critical information.
6: We have a team of five experienced meteorologists and a specialized weather producer, Paul. Yeah. Say hi, Paul.
9: Sometimes what I
6: see in the model, Cecily could see something different. That's when we come together as a team to make our most accurate prediction.
4: And all of this backed by more than 100 AccuWeather scientists. It's a team game.
6: And we have the best team in town.
5: When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messen Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at MessaLaw.com. Messa Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia.
6: Go to get your game on. Go for the beers.
3: Celebrating the life of your loved one is what we do at Life Celebrations by Giveness. When the matriarch of the Dalloway family died suddenly at 82 years old, Life Celebrations by Giveness stepped in. They will make this the easiest thing that you... I know it's not easy, but they will make this as easy as possible life celebrations by givnish customizing services as unique as the individual i i just know that my dad who is in charge of everything was it was
5: not in charge of anything at that point when when my mom passed and uh,
3: uh again just another uh, shout out to this place for for making it easy. turning tragedy into a celebration of life no matter how hard is what we do at life celebrations by givnish life celebrations by givnish customizing services as unique as the individual e a g l e s eagles we got mac and with you on square
4: 360 We're lucky enough to get Ben Solex to join us on this Football Thursday. Uh, Ben, I don't know if you tuned in at all for the first hour. We had Marcus Hayes on, and we got off on a little tangent. Talking about the culture of the Philadelphia Eagles, where they are right now. Veteran guys that they have, the coach and coaching staff. A little bit of a change on the coaching staff. And the quarterback that they have. How good do you think the Philadelphia Eagle
9: culture is coming into 2023? I think it's tough to have a bad culture coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. Like I think that, that winning cures all ills, right? I mean, when we were sitting down and talking about the split that led to Doug getting fired and kind of Howie Roseman winning that that battle and keeping that job, I think we were facing a difficult reality with the Eagles where it comes to most teams in the league don't have this kind of experience uh, uh, linear flow where like you know the owner is as involved as Jeffrey Laurie is and then it all goes directly to the general manager Howie Roseman who's direct as involved as he is and Howie's obviously a guy who has his friends in the league but also has his enemies. Like how he's not a universally loved dude. And so when you kind of have this very uh, uh it's kind of a two-man game at the top, right? The 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 head coach here is always going to be the third honcho, the third of the three musketeers, and the general manager kind of has some 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 bad blood in some places in the league, it's never going to be the most desirable landing spot for a head coach, right? That was kind of what, what we came to with the, with the Doug Peterson hiring and then with the Nick Sirianni hiring is kind of this structure here is not like it is in other places in the league. And so maybe that's challenging, but they got in the Super Bowl two times in the last six seasons with, with that structure. And so once you kind of swallow the lumps of, of okay, maybe this isn't the, the the greatest spot for coaches, and maybe it, you have you're always gonna have to rely on young guys and unproven guys to kind of come to Philadelphia and be okay with the way this works. Once you kind of get over that hump, I think the culture is great. I think they do a lot to support their players and to magnify their players. Right. Uh, I, Jason Kelsey's podcast aside, players here have always had a had a voice. They've had the ability to to kind of you know talk and be themselves and, and be supported in being themselves. They're not expected to kind of like fall in line with the Patriot way. So I think players really like being here. I think the leaders that they've got are very impressive. Certainly the young guy, Jalen Hurts, who's an unbelievable leader beyond his years, but they've paid a lot of money to keep Fletcher Cox around for for a while, even as Fletcher's Game has probably deteriorated a little bit. Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, both still making top-of-the-market money, and those guys have stayed top-of-the-market players. Uh, but the Eagles have done a lot to keep their veterans in the building uh, because those guys established the expectation. They established the culture. They continue it from when guys like Malcolm Jenkins were doing it and Chris Long was doing it. And those guys were veterans, certainly. But, you know, <clears throat> Kelsey and Lane have been around for a decade, decade plus. And so, to me, it's, it, it is a good culture. It's got its warts. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think they've got they got a good uh, system around them, good spirit around them. We
5: we have a good culture here, Ben. So I want to ask, how's the back? Number one, I want to make you, sure yeah. you're okay. I saw you tweaked your back, so I want to make sure. And you're yeah, fighting been, through it. I appreciate that. Uh, too. Yeah, no,
9: I, it it was it wasn't bad. It was just that was definitely the first time where I was like just like doing yard work and I twisted the wrong way, and then my back hurt for the next few hours. And I was like, yep, this is what everybody's been telling me about. This is how yeah, it starts. Yeah, you get as yeah. old
5: yeah. as Jody I, and I. I jumped yeah. to
9: McMullen yeah. and McDonald. Then you'll really yeah. know what back yeah. pain
4: is
2: like. Yeah. Uh, now, so yeah. that,
5: you know, you, you talked about the coaching. I'm. That's interesting to me because you say maybe it's not the best setup for a coach. Or, or maybe to some of these coaches around the league that sort of want more power, are they fighting off? more than it, they can chew because it's yeah it, yeah
9: no, you know you can certainly argue that it's actually a really good environment for a coach to succeed yeah uh, that i think is a separate argument than do coaches want to come here right because yeah. uh, coaches like all of us might not know the best thing for themselves right they might think they do and be wrong uh, so that's that's a very good point that distinction i think is important because you're right like this like doug came here and found success. Uh, Nick came here and obviously found found success. They've learned how to become better coaches, right? They both have had really good locker room management and really good humility, which is something you don't typically see from coaches, and certainly don't see from coaches back to back. Which is uh, guys who are willing to let other people do things and acknowledge that they aren't always the best guy for the job every single time, right? Uh, think about the amount of influence over the offensive game plan that Doug gave Frank Reich and John Filippo even later grow. Uh, when he didn't necessarily have to do that. Think about Sirianni giving up play calling straight up to Shane Steichen when he didn't necessarily have to do that. Uh, and so like, I think there's, there's a, there's a, a good argument to be made that because Roseman has him out of control that he does, the coaches that he gets into the building tend to have more humility and tend to be more willing to be flexible around the job. And that's probably better for the Eagles overall. It does, I think still like, you know, uh, matter in terms of the larger scope of things, right. Where, uh, it is important that the Eagles continue to have young coaches on the position staff that they can feed up and that they can develop into, into the the coordinator roles. And it's important that they're able to keep winning and keep Nick Sirianni happy. Right. Like I, I don't think what happened with Doug starting to lose a little bit of ball and then say, Hey, I need more control over the 53. I don't think that's going to be a, uh, I, I think that's a reasonable thing for Doug to say. I don't think Doug was out of line to say that, right. That, like that, that's, Doug's team is losing football games, and he's looking around at the rest of the league where coaches get to decide who they start on game day. And he doesn't get to do that. He's going to do one plus one equals two. Right? He's going to say, "Well, the- Andy gets to win games because he gets to choose who's on his roster." I don't. Like, that's the problem here. And you might be wrong in that assessment, but it's not a, lar- a large leap. And I can see like you know similar issues coming to fruition with Nick if and when they they experience a downturn. Uh, and so there's, I think there's two sides to that sword. But you're very right to say that you know uh, even if coaches don't like the setup. Maybe coaches should like the setup. Seems like it's a good yeah. spot overall.
4: All right. We go from a very broad question to a very specific question. Pull it up, Eagle linebackers. Last year, with a different defensive coordinator and a different linebacker coach, they basically played two linebackers every single mm-hmm. snap, one at least. And oftentimes, or at least uh, part of the time, only one linebacker on the field, not two. But Last year, they didn't use their backup linebackers at all. Now, there's reason for it. Their two guys' starters stayed healthy, and number two, they both played pretty damn well. Will we see the same this year with Sean Desai and their new uh, linebacker coach since Nick Rallis went to Arizona with Jonathan Gannon? I guess it's a round about way of me asking... How much is Nick Morrow going to play linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles? Is he going to step into if yeah. uh, uh, Nakobe Dean becomes Edwards, will Nick Morrow become Kaiser White for the Eagles this year?
9: Yeah, I would expect that you're still going to see a, a vast majority of the snaps have two linebackers, and you're going to see Nakobe Dean be the Mike. Uh, they spent all last year teaching him Mike linebacker, teaching him T.J. Edwards' job, even when Kaiser White was bad. They said, "Nope, we're teaching a Kobe Dean Mike. He's not playing Will." I thought that was an interesting decision, but it was what they did. Uh, and so I think that you're going to see a take TJ's job, and then Nick Morrow is going to step in and be the weak side linebacker, of the Will, and that was Kaiser White's job. The third linebacker on this room is Christian Ellis. Like, it's not you know, I, mm-hmm. I, it, it's it's tough to figure out who's the third guy to get on the field overall. Uh, and the the, the 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 helpful way to think about the third linebacker job is this. Back in the day, four three four defense, right? It's what we all learned. Four down linemen, yeah. three linebackers, four I, can't, I,
5: I Why do people keep talking about four three and three four? Yeah, it drives me insane.
9: Yeah. The, sorry, this 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 is the framework that I think is better, right? Back then with four three, four, right? That's what we learned. Four-three. And then when you wanted to get nickel defense, you took that third linebacker off yeah. the field and you made him a defensive back. Now you're in the four two five. The best way to think about defense for the Eagles is this. You're always gonna have four linemen on the field. You're always going to have two linebackers. You're always going to have four defensive backs. That's 10. That 11th guy is either going to be a defensive back or he's going to step onto the line of scrimmage and be like a pass rusher. And they're going to have five Big defensive rushing, linemen. Yeah. They're skipping the linebacker position. They're not doing linebacker, nickel, linebacker, nickel. They're doing nickel, edge, nickel, edge, right? And that's where people talk Correct. about the 3-4, right? That's where that starts to get conflated and added in because a lot of times 3-4 defenses played these – five man fronts they played with three defensive linemen and then two outside linebackers Mm -hmm. those guys were linebackers so it was three four because they were in the linebacker position but really it was five guys in the line of scrimmage yeah the eagles are either going to have five dudes on the line of scrimmage and four secondary players or four dudes on the line of scrimmage five secondary players and those two linebackers they're always just going to be there hanging out and they're never going to change that's kind of the 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 way this defense is going to vacillate at least on early downs right we're talking about base defense once it's like third and 12, then you're going to start doing weird stuff. But on regular it's, basic downs, yeah. that's
5: what you're looking at. It, you, you hit my pet peeve. I'm glad you did this because I need your help at the ringer. I need all you guys to get behind us. It's a 50 front. It's a 40 front. And I want to stop calling Hassan Reddick a linebacker. I want to stop calling Nolan Smith a linebacker. There's so many fans that because of that simple word, Ben, they think their position is closer to the guys we've been talking about. N'Kobe Dean is all Paul linebackers. Nicholas Morrow, Christian Ellis, then Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham. Mm. Why can't we just all agree edge rusher, edge rusher, edge rusher? Right.
9: Yeah. Well, that's like the edge rusher way of thinking about things has, has largely been like the result of, of, of kind of scouting and getting players in the league from the college level because you just start looking at guys and 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 dudes who were previously 6'4, 245 were playing Mike linebacker, right? That was that's Jack Campbell yeah. out of Iowa. Uh came out this year, and I with Detroit. But now that guy who's 6'3", 240 is Nolan Smith and he's been playing on yeah. the edge for Georgia. And Georgia's gonna call him a linebacker because that's how Kirby Smart learned how to talk football 40 years ago, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. but fundamentally, where's the dude lining up? He's lining up on the edge. So now, okay, when I go to evaluate him, I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting what he does based off of line of scrimmage, being on the edge. And I have to ask myself as a scouting department, do we play guys on the edge who are under 250 pounds? And for a lot of NFL teams, the answer is no. So, okay, we're not taking Nolan Smith unless we're taking him as a linebacker, unless we're taking him to play a different position. Whereas for the Eagles, they say, do we play 240 pound guys on the edge? And they go. Yeah, we had one get 16 sacks last season. We're kind of chill. We like this. We don't mind it too much. Uh, and so, so it becomes differences in, in what, are your, what are your guardrails for scouting? Are you limited in terms of your weight that you're going to play some of these guys in different positions? It all goes back to like, yeah, how guys learned how to talk football, right? I mean, like the 4-3-3-4 thing goes back to legitimate, like the 3-4 defense was the thing. We learned the names of positions and, and and the roles of guys and the ideal height, weight, speed for guys from the 3-4 defense. And now as it's fallen out of vogue, it's not like we created new defenses. It's just like, you know, Kirby Smart went, oh, I'm going to take the Jack and move him here.
5: Yeah.
9: And and so now like the guy plays a different role, but so call him the Jack. And for him, the Jack is a linebacker because that's what it's always yeah. been, right? Yeah. And so that, that's kind of like incremental innovation. People don't think about things in different terms. They're just going to say, oh, so 3-4 versus us on the outside, we're going to be like, But it's not three and it's not four. The numbers are wrong, you know, because we're looking at it from the outside.
4: I'll give you the guy who this is just my take that people can't move past the way that we've described players on the field for as long as we have. The guy to blame is Lawrence Taylor because he was a linebacker. And everyone is looking for the next Lawrence Taylor. Even if you have to create the position, even if you got to change the name, the results you want are Lawrence Taylor-like plays. And if you want Lawrence Taylor, then that means you want a linebacker. Well, in today's NFL game, no, you don't. You need an edge guy. You want an edge guy to be Lawrence Taylor. Basically like what's on Reddick once last year, he was Lawrence Taylor-like. But John yeah. loses his mind every time somebody calls uh, – for Son well, that, that, and my what he, defense what he is, is Lawrence Taylor here.
5: Here's the reason why Ben I've gotten a lot of fans. Why don't you make, cause the one obvious flaw of this roster right now is all ball linebacker. It's, you know, mm-hmm. I think we all have a lot of excitement over the potential of Nicobe Dean, but that's what it is. And Nicholas Morrow is a journeyman player. Um, so it's a whole and, I, I've gotten a bunch of fans say, "Well, why don't you just play Nolan Smith at weak side linebacker?" Right. And I'm, I'm like, uh, because he's not a, an off ball linebacker. I, and I the Eagles set. and I know this for a fact, it, not only because they're not insane, but because I've been told it, they only scouted him as an edge rusher. They're not the now. Micah Parsons is an interesting case because. That was sort of a, a debate among scouts. Is he an off-ball linebacker? Is he an edge rusher? Um, Jody can tell you I got that one right. I get a lot wrong, but I got that one right. I said, Well, he looks like an edge rusher to me. But you mentioned the measurables, um, and there were some concerns there. And the Cowboys drafted him to play off ball linebacker. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he became Michael Parsons is because DeMarcus Lawrence got injured. I had a couple other injuries. Yeah,
9: Randy Gregory was out there. Randy that year Gregory had to yes. play him on the outside. Yes. And they were like, holy smokes. Yes. What's this?
5: <laughs> Look at yes. this. And they kind of lucked into it. So I get why people say because Nolan's really athletic. But man, that 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 because of one word, the assumption that all linebackers are created equal. Uh there's all ball linebacker. You can call it Sam linebacker, call it Leo whatever you want to call it. So on the edge, he's not playing off the ball.
9: Yeah. And the, uh, the thing is like, it sounds like it should be easy, right? Like take him from edge and put him in off ball linebacker. Right. And like, let's just do it. But it's the same thing as switching a guy from left tackle to right tackle. Yeah. It's the same job, but it's not, it's different. It, it, it like the, the way I always like to talk about it is you dr- drive in a car, right? I right, go to the UK and drive, stand on the other, <laughs> in the other side of the car and drive on the other side of the road. Yeah, you'll know what you're doing, but you're going to have to think a lot harder and move a lot slower than oh, yeah. you would if you were doing it the way you've always done it. Yeah. So, okay, Nolan Smith, you know, fit a zone run, right? Stop a zone, a zone block and run. He knows how to do it. But if yeah. you put him at off ball linebacker, he's going to be sitting on the wrong side of the car doing it from the wrong lane on the, on, on the road. And so he's going to move a lot slower and he's going to think a lot harder. And you don't want your players moving slow and thinking hard. You want them moving fast and, th- and, and, and being quick. And so it's, uh, like it, it, we got the same question at Philly special. Like Nolan Smith off ball and It's like, listen, he's going to drop sometimes. Like, he's absolutely going to drop off line yeah. and, and playing coverage. Uh, if every single off ball linebacker, if Nicobe D and Nick Morrow both get hurt in game one, absolutely they're going to sit in a meeting room somewhere and go, do we need to, should we play Nolan a little bit? Should we try to see if we can do, like, it, it, it's, it's a big red button you can break the glass and push if you need to, but they didn't draft the guy. 30 overall to play him in linebackers, how Rosen we're talking about. They're having 30 to play him off the edge. Yeah. All
4: right. I do want to get you to look into your Eagle crystal ball for this upcoming season a little bit, uh, Ben. Uh, Ruben Frank had a great statistical piece in NBC Sports Philly in his uh, room observation this week. He looked at the Eagles' top three running backs, or at least as most people see them, DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny and Kenny Gainwell. Every single one of them have a significantly higher average yard per carry in a game where they had 10 carries or more. The more they get the ball, the better they are running it. It goes up significantly. You can check the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but Ruben pointed this out. I go, wow, that's a huge difference. So they all seem to play the same way. Give it to me more. You get better production out of it. Well, they can't give them all 10 carries a game. They're not going to run it 30 times. Now if Jalen's running and throwing it, it's just not happening. How do you think they're going to deploy their backs this year? How is that going to work? Mm-hmm. Is it a different guy every game? Every third game, you're going to be the 10-carry-a-game guy. Or is it going to be hot hand in-game? How do you think the Eagles will use their backs this year?
9: Yeah. I haven't. So I haven't read Rube's piece. I'm curious. I I, I went to go to go find him. I'm curious to see what it looks like. The, the 10 plus carry thing is, is tricky for me just because to me, 10 plus carries means more times to break off a 40 yard run, right? It doesn't necessarily mean more efficient on the snap to snap basis. It means when you only run the ball four times, it's not likely you're going to break, break off a chunk one, run the ball 14 times. yeah, you're going to get a couple more three yard runs, a couple more two yard runs, a couple more four yard runs. And all of a sudden a, a 12 yard run, that solves our problem. And so I like it, it, it is tricky. They, they have an absolute home run hitter in Rashad Penny. Penny is a, a nightmare to handle when he gets in a big space. They have a good uh, pass catching back in DeAndre Swift and a good pass catching back in Kenny Gainwell. I think they like Kenny a lot. I think you saw in the playoff run last season, they're willing to trust him and they think that he can be a, a, a bigger part of the offense than, than he was last season with the Sanders rotation. So I think if you, if you made me, you know, bet right now, week one, snap one, who's behind Jalen Hurts, or I should say next to Jalen Hurts. They ain't run under center football. Uh, I guess it's Kenny. I think that, Gainwell is the most likely to have the highest percentage of snaps in the early games. But I think a lot of this is going to be dictated by game script, right? I think if they're up 20 points on the Patriots, I think Rashad Penny's back there running the football between the tackles and kind of being bigger and slowing the game away. Uh, I think that if they're in a, in a, you know, a game where they think they have to pass the ball a lot and they want to be a quick pass to the team, I think DeAndre Swift's out there a ton he's being a check down for them i think if they feel like they need to pick up blitzes because they're playing a brian flores or Vance joseph i think kenny's back there because weirdly enough i think kenny gained well 180 pounds or whatever is their best pass blocking running back So i think it's gonna be situational um there's gonna be days where where swift is the leading back and nobody saw it coming days where Penny's leading back and nobody saw it coming this is going to be about as rotation as it gets unless somebody (laughs) really earns the job and i'd be surprised if any of the three of them dominate like that so to me rotation group I'm not gonna sweat too much over figuring that out because that's 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 a murky crystal ball question for the uh, the Eagles running back room you know
5: the more interesting question for me in the backfield Ben is as you mentioned DeAndre's a, a really good receiver um coming out of the backfield uh Kenny Gainwell is a really good receiver although we haven't seen that much of it you've seen it at times and that's my question. Do you need a really good receiving back when Jalen Hurts is your quarterback? He's not the right. guy who's going to be dumping off the football like some traditional pocket passers who need that guy. You can run some flats. They're not a screen team with Jalen. Um, is it important to have a, a big-time pass catcher in the backfield?
9: I think – my answer is no. I definitely think it's nice to have again, like a big red button in a glass case. It's really beneficial to be able to have a back who you can trust to catch the football. A good way of thinking about running back targets is that they're chosen; they are decided, right? When you when you play wide receiver, you got to be ready at any point to be. A, all of a sudden, you're you're a ten target guy one game. Like, oh shoot, like they're doing this to that, and they're playing this on coverage, and you know, quarterback getting flushed to my side of the field. All of a sudden, like I'm I'm catching the football. Running back targets come usually one of two ways. One is a design mismatch. Hey, it's third and four. We know they want to play man. We can get you out of the backfield. You're going to get up on a linebacker. Run option route. We're going to hit you first down. So that's decided upon. We like your matchup. Or two, a running back target is a part of the the quarterback's intention for the play. Right? You brought up Jalen Hurts, and it's it's a, it's a perfect thought process. Hurts is just never going to think about throwing the ball to the back because you have to do it in rhythm it's gonna be okay there's by there's aj brown he's closed okay Devonte smith the backside he's not open all right time for the check down kenny gainwell and jalen hurts is always going to go okay there's aj brown okay there's Devonte smith all right now i'm gonna run the football right that's that, that's that's why shouldn't he and, and not as yeah. he runs and scramble and go but let, let's extend the play let's let Devonte run around a little more aj dallas Goddard and see if we can get something down the field and so he's just not going to choose to throw the ball to the back in the timing that will that will help the back actually make the catch and go pick up yards, that's necessary. He's never going to fill up Rivers it. Where, like, Rivers would take one look at the defense and be like, oh, the back can get six yards by getting the ball right now. Yeah. Like, it's, just, it's not Jalen. Uh, and, that, and that's great. Like, it's not a criticism. It's, it's a play style thing. And so you're, I, I agree that you're not going to have a high target, highly productive receiving back, Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, in this Eagles offense because of, of the way that it's built and the way that Jalen Hurts is built. With that said, it's really nice to be able to say, "All right, third and three, we're gonna swing this thing out to Kenny Gainwell. Like, we're 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 gonna like run guys down the field, and Kenny's gonna go shallow, and he is like legit part of the read. And Jalen, like, if they bail out and the linebackers sink, so they're worried about deep downfield. Just tap it over to Kenny, and we know that his hands work, and we know they make guys miss in space. It's still a nice tool to have in your toolbox. It can solve problems for you, uh, and so." I, I don't think you're going to see like Swift put up insane receiving numbers or Kenny Game will put up <laughs> an insane receiving numbers. But if they're converting a critical third down a game between the two of them, that's awesome. And it's a good thing you got the skill set the building to do so.
4: All right. Last one for me, Ben. If we could all agree on the Eagles schedule that we could describe it as easier early, you can define easy, easier any way you want. The first eight <laughs> games is not a killer stretch a gauntlet in the middle, either five or six games deep, whether you want to include the at Seattle game in that grouping, and then easier late Giants, Cardinals, Giants. And the Giants made the playoffs and won a playoff game last year. So I'm not being dismissive of them. It's just the Eagles kind of own the Giants. And that's what we're talking about. The Eagles against the Giant matchup. Does it lay out well in your mind? We can nitpick it and pick it out game by game. But I'm just talking about the overview from week one to week 18. Do you think it lays out well for the Eagles?
9: No, I would not like to have to play the Dolphins into the Cowboys, into the Chiefs, into the Bills, into the Cowboys, into the Niners, or however that order goes. That sucks. That's just a very difficult run. I think it would be nice. Well, you got get...
4: you got to keep Washington there in the middle. It's not the Dolphins. Oh, yeah, you got For, you yeah. got the Commanders in the middle between the Dolphins and yeah. the
9: uh, Cowboys. Forgot about the, those Commanders, which the Commanders have like irritatingly played the Eagles close recently. Talk about the Eagles owning yeah. them last yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, the Eagles yeah. are always just in these stupid games with the Commanders. But regardless, <laughs> that uh, that early stretch of the season, I think, is. Like, it, like, not to say it's too easy, but I think it'd be nicer to have some of these tougher opponents there early because, A, you can get them when you're fresh, right? You just expect to be fully healthy in week three relative to week 13, and that can be beneficial, right? Talk about that Niners game and all the like the health questions that are going into that. I mean, I still like, kind of expect to be a lot healthier, but B, um, I think the Eagles would benefit. From getting tough opponents early, checking their medals, seeing what they're going to have to improve upon, get those new coordinators kind of learning what playoff football is going to look like here and what they need to do. And I think the benefit from losing one or two of those games early, uh, just like, you know, you got to feel the, the rattle of the Super Bowl hangover. You got to feel your mortality again. You know what I'm saying? Like You had such a good season you come out of the gate six and oh seven and oh you start thinking like oh it's gonna be it's just like last year like here we go You're kind of like you know we're just walking over the buccaneers walking over the rams like it's just not they're not scary teams uh and then all of a sudden you kind of get a, a reality check in the middle of the season and then it's a question of okay do you have enough time to circle the wagons with a whole new coaching staff and figure out what the adjustments need to be going into playoff time uh like i i i it's always like we experienced this last year. It's always tough being the undefeated team. It's always tough being the the, the one lost team and trying to think about, oh, are we trying to keep these records going? Like it always becomes a narrative. It's always something that gets talked about. I would not mind them playing a great tough game against the Chiefs in week two and losing it 31 to 28. Like that would not bother me at all. And you know, they're going to lose games this year. So we got a lot of tough opponents. Let's get one out of the way. Let's not have to deal with the whole end. Oh, you know, mystique that goes around it. And let's start feeling the, the mortality, especially again for those coordinators. You really want to be at a point where, you're getting to play a football. and Those guys know how to solve problems with with a new roster and a new environment and there's a way that the Eagles going to get lulled into an over exaggerated sense of their strength by playing oh. such a, a, a light run early and that'd be a thing that i would worry about just in terms of handling that super bowl hangover. As it is, it's not that worse. It's not that bad of a schedule. You get yeah. the NFC West is nice. Uh, uh the uh the, the the NFC East I don't think will be as good as it was last year in terms of three playoff teams and so it's it's okay. It's just yeah, that 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 run in the middle is a it's a gallon and a half man. Yep. Yeah it is.
5: At Benjamin Solak, follow uh Ben on Twitter, uh the ringer, uh NFL staff writer does a tremendous job there. Uh listen to the Philly Special podcast with our buddy uh Capadia. Kapadia. I uh, I you you mentioned mortality Ben. I'll leave it there real quick. What what's the floor of this team? And by floor I mean if they're relatively healthy, I, I don't even yeah. mean, we all know injuries can derail anybody, but they're middle of the pack, even if it's not as good as last year when they were very healthy. What's the floor of this team? We all know the ceiling. We're all optimistic. What, 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 how bad can it get?
9: They should be a playoff team. That should be the floor. And if, if, they're, if they're, you know, sneaking in as a wild card after the Cowboys took control of the division and their defense took a big step back and the offense is, is struggling to retain the same explosiveness, same magic as last year, okay, there's too much talent not to be a playoff team. If if we're sitting down in December right in the, the obituary in the Eagles season, knocked out of the playoffs, nine and eight, didn't make it, the tone is going to be, what the heck happened? right just for again like like you you can cover your eyes on on quarterback rankings and on offensive play styles and on on the changing league and analytics and you can just look at the rosters in the nfc and go okay this team's got to make the playoffs there's just there's too many pro bowlers too many all pro players period uh and so to me the the floor is the playoffs they get bounced in round one because they're not ready for it and they have the hangover that's fine you know what i'm saying like shield was walking me through the numbers of of Teams who lost the Super Bowl and what they look like entering the, the next season over the last twenty years, you've had a good percentage of teams just straight not make the playoffs. So it's it's possible, but I'd be extremely surprised for the caliber of this roster if the Eagles didn't make it.
4: Last year, NFC Giants made it nine seven and one. Seahawks made it nine and
9: eight. Is ten a lock to make the playoffs in the NFC this year? I no. I would never say ten is a lock to make the playoffs. Ah, uh, seven seeds. This extra game always still throws me off. Probably. I don't. Don't ask me these things in June. May, <laughs> what month is it? Yeah, that's I mean, a, that's, that's a November question. That's <laughs>
4: why we get you on because you're capable of answering these questions in May when they're very difficult.
9: Yeah. He's got a
5: bad back. Leave him alone. Take care of that. Take care of that. You look back.
4: pretty erect to us. Thank you very much for jumping in. Uh, we will certainly be hitting you up plenty at unfair question times of the season, and in very fair question times of the season. I hope to have you on uh, a lot this year. Thank you very much for doing it today. Go take Thanks, a nap. Thanks,
9: Y'all take care. Our Thanks, pleasure. Man.
4: Ben Solek from The Ringer, and the Philly Special Podcast. With uh, That's an outstanding podcast with he and Shield. All right, Jody Mac, Jody Mac, got to come back, put a bow on the show here on Burge 365.
6: Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app.
2: And the big story on action news. Search 6ABC
6: Philadelphia and start streaming today. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit. And the hits. Go for the stakes. And the stakes.
4: John, I want to wrap on this note. A nod to the streamers that we have here, to my callers on WIP. A couple of pretty much givens, according to both John McMullen and Jody McDonald. If something happens in the league, you can almost be guaranteed that someone will suss it out. Somehow the Eagles are being disrespected. Uh, (laughs) Schedule comes out. This That Oh, it's a disrespect. The league is against it. Uh, There is a contingent of individuals who always do that. And the other one is, if a disgruntled star player lets it be known they're not happy about where they're at, the Ewan cried that we need to get him for the Eagles. Oh, let's go get this guy. He doesn't want to be there. Why don't we go get him? Why don't we add him? I have not seen one person either on our stream or on my telephone lines or on my Twitter feed suggest that Devontae Adams would be a nice fit for the Birds. Which of course he would be because he's a yeah. great player and he pretty much is saying, I want no part of being in Vegas. I,
5: I'm camp. I'm I'm surprised too, actually. He'd be a good third receiver, Chad.
4: Yeah, third receiver. We keep saying they need a third receiver. Why not Devontae Adams? Not mm. one, John. I've been keeping an eye on it. I didn't get a call the other day. I yeah. haven't got anything on my chair. I don't
5: think I think that's uh too too soon. I think you'll get it at some point. Um you know, big name, I call it the big name trap, but this is a big name that is a legit big name. Oh yeah. Uh he is a superstar uh player. If you're talking about the best receiver in football, all due respect to AJ Brown, who I love. It's either Devontae Adams or uh Justin Jefferson. Um one A, one B. Could go Chase either there too. He he Jamar he's Chase is phenomenal. Out. Yeah. Uh yeah, you. I'll put him in the conversation. Yeah, he's big time. Um. Yeah, why not?
4: Why not? Because he's making a whole hell of a lot of money, and now he made oh, me oh, a wizard. I hope he made you know. me a wizard with the cap, but he ain't fit that hope, project. In
5: I hope you know I'm being facetious. I'm yes. saying for others. Understood. Uh, you know, but think- I'm
4: dipping my cap to others because. We've had none of those pleas here on our uh, give it streamers.
5: time, Jody. Give it uh,
4: time. I got faith. They're they're smart enough here watching Birds 365 to not go there. Uh and if you're smart enough, give us a like on the way out the door. Uh we need help with our algorithm, or so I'm told. All right, partner. Uh you and me again tomorrow. I'm up for it. Are you up for it? Yeah,
5: Friday. Football Friday, baby.
4: Football Friday with Mac and Mac here on Birds 365 in two and two.
2: Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365.